and it breaks my heart to kind of see her and and see that you know her spirit is is kind of being pushed in a particular way when she just needs to be a free loving soul you're listening to wild creative a podcast designed to inspire creative thought enhance your artistic process and excavate enriched understandings about art culture and yourself i'm your host emma kivetna an alternative writing teacher artist entrepreneur and sagittarius i am joining you today from the traditional territories of the mi'kmaq people in nova scotia canada without further ado let's explore the wild creative Hello, and welcome to Wild Creative. Last time, I forgot to mention something else that I'm working on this month, which is NaNoWriMo, of course, because it's November. So for those of you who don't know, NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Writing Month, which happens every November. They also have Camp NaNoWriMo in April and June or July, I think. But November is the most popular time that people Um, work on this challenge and the challenge is to write 50,000 words in one month. So I have been working on a book actually this month. I'm I'm working on a novella actually so it's it doesn't have to be 50,000 words you can actually set the goal to whatever you want. So I originally had my word count goal set to 50,000 words and I started writing the book and I'm realizing that I'm about three quarters of the way through and I'm, I'm, I'm nearing the end of the book essentially, but according to my word count, I'm only just at 25,000 words roughly. So I realized I should, I need to edit my goal. So I put it down to 40,000 words, which is more a novella size anyway. But yeah, I realized that I didn't want to drag out the book just for the sake of trying to reach a word count goal. And I have to say, working on a book again in this way where I'm writing pretty much every day, and this is like the first book I've worked on where I haven't like plotted out and planned out every single chapter. I know the general arc of the story and I kind of know where it's going to end up, but I really had no idea what the in-between parts were going to look like. But so far though, it's going really well. And I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm, it's reminding me how much I love writing and it makes me actually excited to work on a, a different book afterwards. So I'm actually looking forward to finishing this. And my goals with this book is to self-publish it in 2023 because I have the goal of publishing a book before I'm 30, which will be in about a year. So this project has kind of become that and it's also a personal project though too so it kind of you know takes care of you know two birds one stone that kind of thing so um and it's kind of my guinea pig project as well because i i really have come to love the idea of self-publishing i've just been seeing so many other authors doing it with such freedom and creativity with it and they can publish their own their books at their own pace they can publish three or four in one year if they want they can publish one a year doesn't matter they can do a poetry book in between the books in their series or whatever it is they don't have to wait for a contract they don't have to wait for permission they don't have to rely on a publishing house to edit it or do it or or sometimes even begin working on it because some publishing houses even if you get an acceptance with them like a contract they may not publish it for like another year or two because they have other books in the queue. So you have to like wait 
additionally after you've been accepted somewhere. So with self-publishing, though, you just go right ahead and, and basically do whatever you want. And so I'm really looking forward to getting more into self-publishing. And this book, it's a novella, it's short. It's a book that I, it is dear to me, but it's not, I don't want to say it's not important to me, but it's not as important to me as some of the other books that I have ideas for publishing um, that I really want to make sure that they're really executed really well. So this book that I'm working on for NaNoWriMo is kind of like my guinea pig book for testing out the self-publishing process and getting back into my a regular writing routine. And yeah, it's, it's so it's just been really great. And it kind of goes along with today's guest, uh, the whole self-publishing and having the goal of self-publishing next year. Because my guest today is Isai Gutierrez. Isai is a native of Houston, Texas. He received his undergraduate degree from the University of Houston and has a master's degree in educational administration from Sam Houston State University. Isai is an educator, an artist, an author, and a maker. His proudest accomplishment is his family. In March 2020, Isai self-published his first children's book, Miguel Goes to Eagle School. His writing exemplifies a love of family and teaching life lessons. Miguel Goes to Eagle School received a five-star reader's favorite review and is part of the Ella's Way Book Collaborative, and Ella stands for Early Learning Leads to Acceptance. As part of this journey, Isai started his own publishing company, Dancing Duck Publishing, so that he could help others navigate the publishing journey and have full control over future projects. So because of that, I really enjoy talking to Isai about self-publishing because I, as I mentioned, I'm looking to self-publish and I just, I'm seeing so many benefits from it more and more every, every time I talk to authors who have done it before. So for the first part of our conversation, we talked a little about his background, growing up poor, but wanting to be an architect, and then how he eventually found his way into teaching. We touched on his experience as an educator and what Isai sees that is lacking in teaching systems. Then we, of course, talked about his debut children's book and his publishing company. So if you are at all thinking about self-publishing and would like to talk to someone who has been there and done that, and who is willing to give free advice do consider reaching out to Isai because he is totally open to helping other authors when he can. He's just an all-around great guy, honestly, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Isai joined me on Zoom from his home in Texas. Welcome, Isai, to Wild Creative. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, me too. I wanted to start off right away talking about your your education history. Um, and I'm wondering how you got into educating and if did you always want to be an educator? And yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, that, that's kind of an interesting story. I kind of backed my way into education, even though. So my oldest sister is a, is a teacher and an educator. Well, she's since retired. Uh, but I wanted to actually be an architect because I could draw when I was a kid and everyone said, Oh, you'll make a great architect. And, you know, I grew up poor. And so uh, when I when I went to school, I, I didn't get into architecture school because I was uh, too busy enjoying myself. And so I went to art school. And then again, because of poverty, uh, I, I couldn't see, you know, um, it's kind of frivolous to, to study art in a sense, because, you know, there's no path for making money. And getting yourself out of poverty right uh, is the ultimate you know answer to that and so um 
so I, I kind of fumbled around for a while and uh and uh I think I I kind of backed my way into education which was you know providence I think uh, you know hindsight uh it was the best thing for me yeah yeah that's yeah that's interesting so you I guess you don't do anything with the architecture side nowadays or you didn't in the end go anywhere with that well no I I didn't but uh actually I have a friend who I've known since high school who uh, got his architecture degree uh and uh I I worked with him even though he even with his architecture degree he just kind of started his own design firm and designs and builds different things you know like from lighting to stairs to architectural details and so I've kind of stayed connected in that way and I I now I, I think the official term for it is a maker. And so I okay. am I do consider myself a maker in many ways, uh designing and building and you, you know, there's some engineering thrown in there and a little bit of everything, a little bit of art and all right. of it. Yeah. Awesome. So when you were an educator, what sorts of things did you teach? What sorts of grades and levels and ages? Yeah, so I actually started off uh in an alternative elementary school. Uh and so all of the students who got kicked out of their regular school for anything from fighting to drugs to any number of things uh, got sent to our program. And we're, you, when I, I started there as a brand new program, I started off as a, as a substitute teacher, actually, uh, and while I went and got my degree. And, um, and I wound up staying there, you know, over 10 years and, and really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it was rough. The The students were rough and came with a lot of stories. Um, but I never faulted the kids as much as the adults. You know, the, the students were always there for a reason. And it always, you know, they were the least common denominator, you know, and, and uh, being steered by bad decisions by adults. Yeah, exactly. And so an alternative elementary school. So would it be kind of accurate to say like a school for misfit kids kind of in a sense? Me... Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, there are some pretty intense stories, you, you know, I, I, everyone says I should write a book, but um, I don't know that I would uh, ultimately share all those stories, but there, there was, there's a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. And, and it, it was, uh, again, uh, I, it, there's a story for every student and it was, it, it would surprise and break your heart. And, um, and it, there weren't enough programs to meet the needs of the kids. One of the things that frustrated me the most about being part of that program is that we would have kids tested for special to be in special education and they would normally go into some sort of behavior class or something like that because there was just no fit. Like some kids just needed a different outlet. They needed, something other than a regular school setting that just didn't exist at the time. And I still don't know that it necessarily exists, which yeah. is kind of sad. Yeah, absolutely. I actually do want to ask you a little about that later. Um, but before I do, um, so working in that kind of environment with a school for, you know, quote, misfit kids, I'm sure, you, you, as you said, you saw a lot of things and um, witnessed a lot of things. So what was what was your biggest like takeaway from working with with kids? What what did they teach you? <laughs> <laughs> they 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 taught me how, how to be a a, a good parent. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. I'm not gonna lie. You, you know, it was my my first 
of uh, teaching, you, you know, my first uh, education job, and I was a fish out of water. And so just learning how to uh, how to be a teacher, like I, I at one point, I think every teacher should have to go and, and be in that setting. And I, I was fortunate in that it was run by counselors. And so I was able to learn from the counselors what I needed to do. And, and I think a lot of teachers, you know, it's a litmus test. <laughs> you know, if you can, I started with a, a teacher who had, you know, 15 years tenure and working with special education students. And, you know, he lasted two days and I lasted 10 years. And so, yeah, th there's I can't say it taught me one thing. It taught me so many other things. You know, I, I used to say up until that point that the, the most learning I had ever done was uh, dispatching taxi cabs. Because before that, you know, I spent some time at a cab company and I learned how to deal with people. I learned how to, you know, make quick decisions. You know, you don't have time to sit there and think. You have to make a decision and stick by it. And and so, you know, working at the alternative school, I did learn how to be a, a, a good parent and what a good parent needs to be. And, and I think even how to be a better human being. Um, yeah. and, and again, I, I look back and, and certainly I have regrets of, you know, things that rough times that I had with some of the kids and, you, you know, because I had to grow as a person and, and they bear the brunt of all of the adults decisions, including my own. Right. And, and so right. I have to admit my own faults and my own you know, shortcomings. But I, I think in the end, they made me a better person. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I guess you would have to be a little, become a little bit more adaptive in that oh, environment. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at, at, one, at one point, uh, all of my students ran out of the class. Like I, I only had like eight students, you, you know, at, at the time. And one by one, they just got up and ran, ran out of my class. Now, again, these are elementary school kids. They're like <laughs> under 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And they just ran out of my class and were just outside in front of my room, like just running in a circle, screaming and yelling like banshees. And I thought, what am I doing? You know, and so I, I I had to adapt really quickly and learn very quickly, you know, what to do and what not to do. And and I survived the day and got them kind of back in, in hand. But, uh, you know, all that control is just an illusion, you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, safety is an illusion and, and, you know, we can fool ourselves all we want, but yeah, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot to learn. And, and again, I thought maybe every teacher needs to at least experience a semester in that kind of environment to, to understand and appreciate it. Cause you know, now I'm in a, a, a different setting. I'm teaching art in a charter school and there've been a lot of teachers who have, you know, uh, quit like, you know, from the beginning of the year till now, uh, I think they just, don't realize how, what an incredible program they're in. <laughs> you know, they they think, oh, this is horrible, and it is. It's such an amazing program, but but again, I think if you don't see the other side, the grass is always greener on the other side, and you don't kind of realize where you're at until you've, you know, had a, a truly tough experience. And so, I, again, I think that alternative school was a uh, an eye opener for many. Yeah, absolutely. And so the teachers that are leaving are calling it quits after such a short time. Do you, do you think that teachers today are like less equipped to deal with kids than they used to be? Or do you think there's some sort of shift happening? Well, I, I think, uh, yeah, no, there's a definite shift happening. And I think the shift is that, you know, financially, you don't have to put up with it anymore, right? Like, I, I think the economy is such that, 
There, there's other things that you can do. And so, you know, we teachers never go into it to be rich, right? No, no educator goes in going, I'm going to make money. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but there's only so much you can get beat up and and not make money before it's it, it's just like, yeah, I don't I don't think so. And and so I I think it's kind of turned the the um, it, it's turned the tide a little bit in in the the feeling of okay I, I want to teach because I want to do the better good, but now it's just not even worth it right uh, mm-hmm. because of how teachers are being beat up by the kids. Well, no, or... not not even by the kids. I think by by, by the parents. adults, by oh. you know the politicians, and by you know. You, you can't uh, teach certain things anymore. You, you know, there's, oh, there's yeah. so much yeah. that's put on you as a teacher now. There's so many constraints and you, you can't just teach and love the kids. <laughs> you, you, you can't, you know, do your profession without, you, you know, even now there's this huge threat of litigation. And from the politicians and from the adults, like, you know, parents coming in and saying, well, you can't teach my, my student that and, and I'm going to sue you. And yeah. You know, it's just not worth it to to me and my family. And and now my kids are grown, and so I'm in a little bit different spot. And again, I I, I think I know a little bit more than than most teachers do. But yeah, a young teacher comes comes in, and the parents like, well, you know, I'm going to sue you because you said something to my son or daughter. You know, who would who would endure that at this point? Right, right. It's not as you said. It's not worth it um, in no. those places. Yeah. But that just goes to show them that the teachers who are sticking around and doing their job and um, have that skill set are so amazing for doing so because they're worth their weight in yeah, gold yeah. and not being paid it. Yeah, a good teacher is, uh, I think it's it's becoming less common to find a re- really good teachers. Yeah, and, and culturally, you know, kids are, you, you know, the, the traditional education where, you know, a student got out of line and you, you know, you beat them with a paddle and, you know, because I went through that. I got out of line. I got beaten with a paddle. I got back in line. And and so you knew that there was limits. Well, I, I think, you know, there those limits aren't there anymore. And, and uh, society's changed a lot. And not to say it's a bad thing. I don't think we need to beat kids into line. So please don't think I'm saying that. But we need to know how to adapt. Teachers need to know how to adapt for you know, who they're dealing with and how they're dealing with it. Yeah. You know, kids are more creative now and, and they should be. I, I think that education uh, should be more of a, a two-way, should have always been more of a two-way street where students should have a say in who they get to be and not just some adult, you know, putting their thumb down and, and you know, forcing them and their their control on students. So Right, constantly asserting authority. It's, it's one mm-hmm. thing to respect respect the authority but if it's constantly being asserted towards you it just makes you probably feel uh helpless and small and which makes you want right. to be rebel <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah um so we, something i want to ask you that you kind of m- mentioned earlier when you were talking about how um th- this the places that would suit kids who don't quite fit in with normal teaching systems that there isn't really still quite a resource for them yeah. So, so what sorts of things have you experienced firsthand that are lacking in the education system? Sure. So, like right uh, again, right now, I'm an art teacher uh, in in a charter school that that's kind of a traditional education school. But one of the students I have is just a she's a creative soul. Not even she's not a 
a visual arts creative soul. She's a singer, dancer, movement, you know, and and the the tendency is to want to sit her in a chair and you know make her focus and make her do, but she's a dancer. She's not like she doesn't, she shouldn't be sitting in a chair. She needs to be moving and singing yeah. and playing and because that's her spirit and who she should be. And there's just not programs that are like that. Like we still want to put kids in rows and, and now we, we want to put them in, you know, learning groups and sit them around the table, but, but it's still the same thing. We still want to kind of force them into a mold, whatever that mold might be, even though we think it's more progressive and there needs to be a place for kids to just, you know, like her, a, a place for they for them to just dance and sing and and learn in, in that way, instead of sitting in a chair. Yeah. Um, and it breaks my heart to kind of see her and and see that you know her spirit is is kind of being pushed in a particular way when she just needs to be a free loving soul. Yeah, absolutely. I I could see that being very needed because not every kid is built the same or functions the same or learns the same. And, but I feel like the system, the education system is very much one way and in boxes and, as you said, in rows and stuff and the desks are like individual. And I, I think we've come a long way. I mean, we understand differentiated education now in a way that we didn't before. You know, when I grew up, I was very, very attention deficit and I would have been labeled, you know, if I would have been growing up to the, in today's society, I definitely would have been labeled and probably medicated. Mm -hmm. um, I had teachers who knew how to differentiate and how to adjust education, you know, before anybody knew what that was. And I, I look back and, you know, I, I had one teacher that that made me in charge of the bulletin boards, you know, and, and, and now I know why she did it. She did it because she knew that I needed a, a different outlet. And so literally she would let me go and, and redo the bulletin boards in the classroom and I could listen and pick up everything that was going on in the classroom while I was cutting out letters and, you know, doing things for the bulletin board. And and I think, man, what a phenomenal lady that was to let me do that at the time. And, and again, it was, a, it was a poor school, you know, it was, a, but it was before anybody knew what was going on. And that lady knew what I needed and gave it to me. And so I, I consider myself blessed or fortunate or whatever word you want to use. Uh, I, I consider myself blessed uh, because I've always had those kind of people in my life where I needed them the most. And I think it, it takes someone special to, as you said, like she recognized that you needed that. It's not that she, not only did she know what to do, but she recognized it in the first place at all. And I was a stubborn kid and, you know, again, <laughs> hyper and, and I, I butted heads with teachers and, and they butted heads with me at the right time. But I, I think they also cared and loved and in, in a way that, made me who I am you know they yeah. helped me along in a way I, I don't see that happening a whole lot in education I, it is happening because we have some really really good teachers out there that again are, are being beat up by the system more than they should be yeah as you, as we said earlier a really good teacher goes a long way like they can influence someone into their adulthood mm -hmm. from what they said or taught them yeah um, what sorts of things were you teaching and, and what, what was your favorite subject to teach well, well, right now teaching art, I get yeah. I get paid to do art with kids. That's <laughs> you know? pretty great. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, how can you? Yeah, that, that's pretty awesome, right? Mm -hmm. So I like teaching the kids that are hard to teach. You know, the ones that that you know they say can't learn because I was that kid, and so 
I'm one of those who, you know, if if I had a hard time doing it, then I want to go back and I, I want to help the people who are having a hard time like I did. Uh, and if you can't do it better than I can, then I, I want to step in and do it, which is probably why, I, you know, I went into well, another reason why I went into education. So it's just teaching those hard to, you know, I, I did a, last semester, I did an online uh, GED course because I, I did some stuff at the community college and I saw that there's kids who are struggling. I say kids, these are young adults who are struggling with, you know, basic math. I'm like, how can you struggle with basic, basic math? It's basic math. Like, we can do this. Like, come on, let's sit down. We can do it. And having them, you know, take a GED and then pass a GED because of something that I did to help them, you know, that's that's a win. I'm like, woohoo. Yeah. Like, oh, that's awesome. And so, you know, one of them was like, well, you know, I was, uh, you're, you're my second tutor and my first tutor was a mathematician, but he just couldn't understand why I didn't understand. I'm like, yeah, that's the problem, right? I didn't understand either. So I understand why you didn't understand. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to teach you why you don't understand more than I am the math. Right. And, and I think that's what's most important. Right. So getting at the root cause behind their um, inability to learn something or the block or whatever it is. Yeah, Ab absolutely. And then those are the big wins. Right. You, yes. you know, when you get you see the light switch and and all of a sudden they like what they're learning and, and it's not a drudgery. That's the win. I remember having those moments when I was a kid too, and getting a test back that was like 88% or 90, whatever percent and thinking, oh, I probably got in the sixties or lower. And it's, yeah, you just like feel so lit up as a kid. Mm -hmm. So you basically, would it be safe to say that you have, you believe that everybody can learn? Everybody's oh, capable. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And maybe not, you know, the same leaps and bounds as, as some, some, right. but yeah, everybody can learn something. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your book now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So you wrote a book called Miguel Goes to Eagle School, which is a kid's book. And it has the cutest duck on the cover that I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank um, you. Where, um, what, so what's it, can you give us a little rundown of what, what it's about and where the idea for it came from? Sure. So um, I've had the idea for many, many years, unfortunately, but again, I procrastinate and I tell the kids, you know, I suffer from a rare disease of procrastination. I heard somebody on a NPR or some news radio show, they were interviewing him. He was talking about, you know, having a coffee shop and what, you know, what great employees he had. And so the, the guy was interviewing him said, well, you must, you know, have a great training program. And the response was, well, this was the response. He said, well, you know, you can't send a duck to Eagle School, meaning you have to hire the right people. And that really bothered me, like really, really bothered me because essentially, and, and this is the premise, there's actually a book out there called You Can't Send a Duck to Eagle School. Wow. And it's done by these, you know, Tony Robbins and uh, Jim Rohn. Uh, I don't know if you know those names, but anyway, by these guys. And, and th this is their premise. If you're going to hire some, if you're going to hire someone to climb a tree, do you hire a fish? Or do you hire a squirrel? Which on the surface makes sense. You would hire a squirrel. But if I can find a fish that can climb a tree as good as a squirrel, I'm going to hire the fish. Because that fish has had to learn a whole lot more than that squirrel's had to learn. Right? Right. And yeah. so if you extend out the metaphor, it doesn't work. And, uh, and so what they're saying is, I'm not even going to look at you if you're a fish because I'm just going to look at the squirrels. And there's a problem with that, right? Yeah. Because yeah. You're, you're excluding 
people who could be the, the best people that you know. And so when you look at life, you know, itself, you know, it's always the, the people who overcome those adversities who are the best at what they do. And, and these people are just saying, you know, to heck with it. Just don't even bother with it. I'm sorry. You, you know, you're, you're a duck. You're not an eagle. I'm not even gonna bother with you. And so that it bothered me because of that. And so I, I wrote a children's book about a duck that goes to Eagle school. And I thought if I could make it a children's story, then maybe the adults would understand the message. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if that's the case yet or not, but th that that's what it is. And so, um, the whole writing experience was was pretty interesting because I even after I wrote the book and it was published and I self-published and uh, again, there's a whole growth in that. I found things that I didn't think I would find in my own book, which sounds a little bit bizarre. Oh, like what? So there's, a, you know, the character is Miguel and he's the duck. And uh, and when he goes to Eagle School, you know, he tells his best friend, well, you know, I want to go to Eagle School. And, he, and he, you know, he. He's expecting his best friend to, to to support him and his best friend doesn't, you know, and that that didn't surprise me because I, I, that was very intentional. But what surprised me is so he goes to talk to Great Mother Eagle. And, and so you kind of have to read the book and, and find mm -hmm. out how, how that comes about. But he has to ask Great Mother Eagle if he can go to Eagle School. And so after I wrote the book, I, I was thinking, well, why why would Great Mother Eagle let him in to begin with? Right. And then it dawned on me that this is the part that surprised me. So Miguel is bullied by Great Mother Eagle's son. Like he he's he's the bully, the the antagonist of the story. And I think the reason Great Mother Eagle would let Miguel into Eagle School is because she realized that her son had as much to learn from the duck as the duck had to learn from the eagle. So she's te teaching her son a lesson by letting the duck. Enjoy. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and and that's not something that I intended when I wrote the book, but but I, I think it's there. Yeah. Um, and there, there's a few other things, too. Um, you know, there there's even this this kind of image where, you know, he's a, he's a he has to face his, his bully. And just this idea that you he faces his fear in a very literal way. I didn't I didn't realize at the time that it was quite as literal as, you know, facing your fear. And there's there's actually a picture in the book. And I've I've. You know, cropped it and, and put it on, you know, my Facebook and other things where, you know, the duck and the eagle are, are eye to eye where he's literally facing his fears. Yeah. Oh, isn't that cool how there's more to our, there's layers to our own, even our own mind in our own art. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that we don't even realize that we put in there. Yeah. After the fact. So how was that write the writing process for you for that book? So again, I had the idea for years and years and years. And then before, actually before COVID hit, I, I left education for a while and I sat down, okay, what am I going to do? And and I thought, well, I need to finish this book. And so it, it took me about a week to actually flesh it out because I had the idea for a long time. And so it, it took about a week. And then I come from a family of educators. Like I said, my sister's an educator and her kids are educators. And so I had this great idea that you know, when I got the book out, I was going to go into the schools and, you know, then COVID hit and I couldn't do that. But um, but I let my family read the, the story to tell me, you know, if there was something there, because, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the the American Idol, you know, where they, it's a singing competition. And when it first came out, you know, they would intentionally put these bad people on to, to audition. And these bad people thought that, 
you know, they they had these great singing voices and they didn't have quite the singing voices that they had. Mm-hmm. I, I think they stopped doing that because they realized they're just kind of making fun of people. Right. But I didn't want to be the literary version of that. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I think I had this great story and then, you know, maybe it's not a great story. And so I, I wanted people to give me legitimate feedback. You know, you know, I'm a grown man. I can take it. Tell me if it's worth it or not. And so, you, you know, they, they gave me what I I knew would be honest feedback. And I, I thought there was something there. One of my sisters didn't like the ending. And so I actually changed the ending of the book. I changed it very subtly. And, and so when I go and talk to kids in schools, I talk to them about how words can change the meaning, just a few words. So at the end, um, I was very frustrated because uh, w- when I finished writing the book, it was about the time that George Floyd had been you know, killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was very frustrated about that. And, and so this whole idea that bullies, you, you know, I, I think we need to change this whole idea of what, how we talk about bullies. But anyway. The end of the book was like his heart was closed and, and he would never learn how to love. Right. And my sister didn't like that because there was a there's a no chance for redemption in that. Right. His heart was closed and he would never learn how to love. There is no redemption in that. So the change was as long as his heart was closed, he would never learn how to love. And that's a that's a subtle, subtle difference. But but in that those that subtle difference, there's a chance at redemption. Right. Because your heart is either closed and, and you're not going to get it or as long as it's closed, then there's a chance of redemption. So that that was the the major change that I made in the book. And that's, <laughs> and that's talking about the bully eagle. Correct. About yeah. the bully eagle. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I had this idea that uh, that he had to learn what all mothers knew. And when I started off, that was another one of those things that, that, that kind of surprised me. Because I had no idea what all mothers know. And and I, I didn't think that I would have that lesson in there. Mm-hmm. I thought I would just say, you know, because he goes and, and his mother tells, he's, he tells his mom, I want to go to Eagle School, but I'm scared. And she says, well, go talk to Great Mother Eagle. And the reason she told him that is because she knew what all mothers know. And, and then, you know, when he talks to Great Mother Eagle, she says, of course, you can come to Eagle School because she also knew what all mothers know. And so I had this idea of, you know, what all mothers know, and I have no earthly idea what it is because I'm not a mother. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I didn't know that I'd be able to resolve that. Now, I, I did kind of come up with a resolution to that in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people have to read the book if they want to know what that resolution yes. is. Yeah. But No spoilers here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, I, I didn't think I'd have a resolution. I, I think I did. And um, my wife is OK with it. So I think I did all right. <laughs> Yeah, but it passed the mother test, at least with one mother. Yeah, so. I, I hope it did. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you had the idea for a long time, like 10 or 15 years. And so then what Why? What prompted you to do it um, just before COVID? So it, it kept running around in my, a lot of things. It, I, I had to get it out of my head. I couldn't keep it in my head anymore. And there's some others that I, I need to get out of my head. Uh, and that, that's why I need to put them out. But uh, again, I had left education and was looking to do something and and I had to get that creative outlet out there. I, I had to get it out of my head so that I could be at peace and, and it not be in there anymore. And so yeah. I, I, it was I just, just the right time. Yeah, it was the right time. And I did it, you, you know, and then uh, and then I started that process. Of, OK, now what am I, I going to do with it? Because right. uh, I had written a children's story, you know, when, when my, you know, my first child was born. And I, I tried to do the traditional publishing route where you, you know, 
send your story out to, to publishers. And, you know, at the time, I didn't know that I needed an agent or someone to represent me. But I just thought, okay, I'm just going to send it to the publishers and see what they say. And of course, you know, they're like, no, 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 no. And so I'd left it alone. And then with this one, I started looking at, you know, what were my options? And and that, that started a whole, you know, kind of different journey. And the result of that was me starting my own publishing company. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about your, your journey with self-publishing. So that this was your first book ever and and you self-published it so it was your first time self-publishing um so did you i guess you just taught yourself the whole process and learned as well i started looking at what the options were and and you know there's there's always been this kind of vanity publishing uh where you know you pay somebody a whole lot of money and they you know produce your book and i didn't have that kind of money and then uh i started looking at they, they call them hybrid <laughs> you know hybrid publishing companies which people should look out for, you know, if there's anyone out there who wants to self-publish or publish their own book, uh, be very wary of the the hybrid publishers. But I, you know, I found one that I kind of liked and then I started looking at, okay, they sent me a contract and what is it that, that I'm going to be paying for? And then I started looking at some of the things that I was going to be paying for. I thought, well, I can do that and I can do that and I can do that, you, you know? And, and so uh, then I started reading more and I found out that technically you can publish for free. And then I thought, woohoo, like I can publish for free. And then I started looking at the pros and cons of being able to publish for free. And so that's when I decided to, to not publish for free because there's there's limitations because then you're tied into, you know, either uh, Amazon or, or whoever you, you know, get your ISBN numbers from. Yeah. Uh, and so then I started looking at where the cost was going to come from and, and how I could, you know, manage the cost of individual things. Since I had never done one before, I went on ahead and hired a, an illustrator because I wanted to learn the process. Now I know the process and I'll illustrate all the rest of my books from here on out. But yeah, there, there's a lot to learn. And, and yeah. you know, I'm part of a lot of the, the groups online and I see the, the struggles people are having. And so I, I, uh, I offer my services for free in terms of just the advice. I'll tell you what I went through and you know, where I stumbled and where I, you know, had successes and what I believe and what I don't believe and why. Mm -hmm. And so people can make up their own choice. Uh, in fact, I, I started, I did my own website and, and I offer a lot of that on my website. So people can go there and kind of read yeah. through some of that. Yeah, I saw that. I was actually impressed with that. You had like a whole checklist there and, and you know, uh, information and resources. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, I'd recommend anybody to check that out if you're interested in self-publishing or at least getting an intro to it. So in the end, what did you end up doing? Did you work with a company or anybody or did you just do everything yourself besides the illustrating? I, I did it all myself other than the illustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I purchased my own ISBN number. And so I, again, I have a little bit of a background in design. And so I knew how to, I know how to do Photoshop and Illustrator and, and, and design. And so I could do the book layout and okay. what I didn't know, I could ask questions and I was able to do it. So I think that's the big thing is knowing how to do the layout. Um, yeah. And the more you know how to do the, the, the less you pay. Right. And so if you don't know InDesign, then you're going to pay somebody for InDesign. If you don't know how to illustrate, you're going to pay an illustrator if you're doing a children's book, you know. Right. Uh, 
everyone, everyone, everyone should be paying editors, right? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you need to have it edited. And again, fortunately, I, I'm part of a family of educators and they they functioned as my, you know, editors. I have some really good friends who've always read all my work. And so when I was in college, they helped me with my college papers okay. and they, they functioned <laughs> as my editors. And so I was fortunate in that regard. But uh, certainly, I think anybody who's going to publish needs to make sure they have a quality editor. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the the biggest, uh, most necessary investment if you're going to mm -hmm. professionally publish something by yourself Ab or traditionally. Absolutely. Editors, it, I think the minimum thing to invest and in. And you need to really understand that you need to look at the end in mind and what is it that you want. You know, early on, I, I heard somebody, you know, they're talking about, you know, being on the New York Times bestseller list. And I thought, well, that's what I want. I want to be on the bestsellers list. And Somebody said, well, do you want to be on the bestsellers list or do you want to sell books? Because it's not necessarily the same thing. Right. And right. so I thought, well, that makes sense. I think I want to sell books. Right? Yeah. And and so, yeah. So certainly the, there's a pre prestige with being on the New York Times bestseller list. But, you know, there's also something that you're going to give up in doing that. And so yeah. you know, how do you balance that out? And so that's why it's important to look at the, the end in mind. Where, where do you want to be? And then you backtrack and figure out. Uh, you, you know, how to get there. Because like I said, you can publish for free. Technically, you can publish absolutely free, but is that really what you want to do? And so what are those considerations? So yeah, that that being said with the like the end and the end in mind, the bestseller and all that, I assume um, a lot of marketing would go, like book marketing is, a, is part of the publishing process. So I was curious to ask you what what have you done for marketing your book? And because a lot of people, yeah. a lot of authors hate that part of the process. And it's, yeah, it's a it's well, and I was very naive, you know, and so now I put, you know, if you publish, it doesn't mean they will come. Yeah, right? exactly. So, yeah, so now I have this book. And then it's like, okay, now what, like, I can't sell a million copies of a book of only two people know about it. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so then how, how do you get that out there? And um, and again, there's tons of people who will take your money to tell you that they can do it the right way. And, and maybe it is and maybe it isn't the right way. And so, you know, I've tried ads on Google and Facebook and, you know, some of those kind of things. Now, again, it's it's me putting those ads out there and there's companies that you can hire to put their the ads out there. But it's all about the return on investment. And, and, you know, if they can't guarantee you a return on your investment, then you need to be kind of leery of it is what I found. And I think the best way to market your book is to get out there and, and put tables up at, at bazaar, church bazaars and functions. And yes, that's where I'm getting the most recognition. You know, uh, there's an organization here in town where I'm at called the National Hispanic Professional Organization. And they've been very good to me because they have like um, they have these really big meetings, you know, every month or every two months. And they, they've uh, I've gotten a table with them. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, again, my book is kind of Latino centered, you know, even though it's not you know strictly just for Latinos. But um, I've been able to kind of get my name out there and people come and you exchange cards and, you know, and then now I'm going into schools and, you know, I I. Uh, I donated a copy of my book to every one of the elementary schools in the Houston School District. And um, I, I donated one to every book in the county that I live in. Mm -hmm. And then I found out. So with the school district, I had to have my 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 book vetted by by the school district. It's one of the largest school districts in the country. 
Uh, and so that was that was fine. And, and so I gave them some copies and they sent it to different departments to kind of read it and said, oh, yeah, your book's OK. But to have it in a library donated, I wanted to give it to a library. They said, oh, no, you have to have a professional review, <laughs> which is some people really? need to know. Wow. Yeah. It, yes. I couldn't give it to I couldn't give my book away until I had a professional review. Oh. And so I'm like, well, I'm not familiar with that. And they were more than happy to you know, suggest some companies. Uh, the first company that they suggested wanted, I think it was in the thousands of dollars to <laughs> to, yeah. to, to read my book. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's just not going to happen. And so well, I did find a compromise. And there are some companies that are reasonable out there. And, and so it wound up, again, being a benefit to me because, you know, now I have an award. It's a five star you know, reader review mm -hmm. uh, that I, I can buy the stickers and put them on my book. And, and so uh, it gave me some sort of clout and it did cost me thousands of dollars. But that was a, that was another learning process because I had uh, one company come up to me and say, oh, we, you know, we're familiar with your book, you know, would you like this award? And if you would, you know, it'll cost you, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars like, for, the, for uh, the award. This is what's so frustrating about publishing industry is, especially for self-published authors, is they, they can get taken advantage of a lot because it's a really vulnerable space to be in. Like you've put this artwork out that you've been trying to do for years or however long. And people are, you know, throwing these promises at you. If you just mm -hmm. send me this money. Right. You know, well, and, and this particular organization is a very well-established organization. And and I, I, I considered it and I put it out there on the chat groups. And of course, they're like, oh, well, I'll give you an award if you give me three hundred dollars or whatever. But this was a reputable, established organization mm -hmm. where if you put their sticker on your book, it, it has some clout. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so I really had to consider whether, you know, I was going to come up with, the, you know, things like three or four hundred dollars, mm -hmm. you know, to, to have that sticker on my book. And, and you know, it's it's a real consideration, you know, because I, I, I certainly saw other authors, you know, who had their their booths put out there and they had that sticker and they had a big poster that said, you know, and I, and I don't want to talk bad about that organization, but certainly, you know, they had that sticker on there and it's like, hey, I have this award. And I, I think a lot of the readers don't realize that that award is paid for, Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and and but even like the big ones, you know, the Caldecott or the, you know, all these nice reading awards there, you know, it costs money to get those awards, mm -hmm. you know, and usually they're they're. They're won by the big publishing houses who can afford to send the books out there and, you know, schmooze the judges and do all those kind of things. And, and so there's a lot of, I would say to people out there, hopefully listening, there's a lot of really good books out there that you can find that don't necessarily have those awards and just kind of know that, like know that just because they have those awards, mm -hmm. certainly they're good books. But an award isn't everything. Exactly. Because yeah, yeah, it's, you don't know how it was earned or if it was even earned. It exactly. just been bought. So, yeah. yeah. Which is a, a shame. It's sad. <laughs> sad. But, but they are good. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the Calicott Awards aren't going to, to yeah. you know, to sketchy book, books or, you know, they're, they're great. They're great work. But I, I think there's work that's just as great that's out there that, that's not getting the, the kudos and the awards because, you know, people can't afford to put the money into them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the independent authors just can't. Um, same thing with book fairs. <laughs> you, you know, uh, Scholastic does all the book fairs. I, I don't know, you know, 
any other place, but certainly around here, Scholastic does all the book fairs. And, um, you know, my, my sister who's retired educator now was like, well, how much do they give the schools? What is the cut that they give the schools? And I found out they don't give the schools anything in terms of financially. What, what they do give them is like these Scholastic dollars. So you can order books from Scholastic, but they have their own authors. They have, you know, so it's this big industry of books and uh, they don't carry independent authors or small authors. And so somebody like me getting into a school book fair is almost impossible because somebody like Scholastic has it all wrapped up. Mm -hmm. uh, even though, again, there's a lot of quality independent authors that are out there that would that the kids would benefit from greatly. Uh, but it's just, it, you know, it's not an easy gig. Yeah. It's too many regulations, I guess, and things, yeah. barriers to cross to get into those. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't say, uh, don't be discouraged because of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you, you still got to go for it. Absolutely. Still got to go for it. Get it out. Get it out of your head uh, yeah. as you did. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little about your publishing company now, because so once you did this book, you decided to just run with actually having a, like a, a company where you also help other uh, we'll authors the publish their like books. So it's called Dancing it Duck Publishing. Um, I think we kind of touched on why you decided to start it, uh, but what exactly is the process then if somebody wants to work with you and approach you and do you only take um, authors of children's books? So I want to take authors who have positive messages. Uh, and, and again, I've gotten on tons of Zoom calls with, with people who are interested in publishing. I would say the more you can do on your own, the less you'll pay. And so even with my services, I don't charge for any of the advice I give. I'll get on a Zoom call. I'll tell you what you should do, what, what I think you should do and shouldn't do. Uh, I think people ought to you know go through the process of publishing their own book. It's probably the least expensive uh, way that you'll do it. Now, I, I did have a, a friend who said, you, you know, her daughter had done this uh, this beautiful kind of school project and she did all these wonderful water watercolor drawings of the book. And uh, and so I'm publishing her book right now. Uh, it's it, unfortunately it's turned out to be a little bit longer than I thought the process was a little more difficult because I'm having to go through and and redo all of the drawings because she mm -hmm. had. She had just uh, painted the type over on top of the, the, oh. the and so all that had to be re-edited out and, and photoshopped out. And and now I want to make sure that she's happy with it. And so we're going through drawing by drawing and, and you know, we're on a you know fourth or fifth kind of edit with that. Yeah. Uh, but she's going to have a, a, a nice little project when it's done and a nice little book. So before so, you go on, sorry, for anyone listening, wondering what, what, what you're, what you're talking about with that because I actually did used to work in self-publishing too at a self-publishing services company and I know that when you have images um, or a, a text the designer is supposed to put the text on the image mm -hmm. not have the text drawn or painted into the image right. because when that's printed it's um, it's less readable or it's it's less sharp than text right. that's actually printed on top of the image well, so, and, and I can show I can show mm -hmm. examples so you know, this is this is kind of, you know, uh, one of her drawings. And, and mm -hmm. so you can see it's just watercolor drawing. And then she... and so and that's kind of throughout the whole book. Plus, because, you know, she did. These are feet, actually, you know. And so every drawing where she has these feet, 
uh, they're a little bit different. And so she asked me to, to then go through and, and consistency because I can do it in, in Photoshop. But uh, so taking out all that type and then, you know, redoing the, the images. And then she's like, well, can you, you know, certain drawings have to be the same because they kind of go back to where they started from in the book. And so she wants images to be the same, which we can certainly do, but there's a lot of uh, back and forth. And, and so because she's a friend, I'm not, you know, charging her extra or whatever, but you kind of need to know that, you know, if you're in that boat, it's going to be expensive. Right? It, it will, right? it, it, it's, it'll save you a lot of headache though, if you do it right from the beginning where you don't put your text in the image, you leave the designer to do that, but you can maybe create some empty space where they could put text like, um, yeah, this is, it's, yeah, it's, that's, and that goes back to that whole start with the end in mind, right? Right. <laughs> And then there, there now there are book designers that you can hire as well. And, and so yes. again, I would say, you know, the more you can do on your own, the cheaper it will be. But certainly, if you don't know how to do it, it's worth hiring a good book designer. Like it's worth hiring a, a good editor. Right. It would um, be such a less less of a headache in the long run, really. So. Exactly. Yeah. And and the good thing is now there's services that you can use. You know, and and if you go to my website, I, I have some of the services that you can use to find people, it's real easy to find people. And, you know, you you subscribe to one of those services and literally you have the portfolio of, you know, 20 people that you can go through. Yeah, freelance uh, illustrators and designers and book designers, yeah. And and I and and you can find them on Facebook as well, but I, I appreciated the platform because it gives you some sort of security because you can meet somebody on Facebook and they can promise you everything and you send them a check and then your check's gone. Whereas with these platforms, there's there's a little bit more reput reputability, you know, and, and so your your chances of getting swindled are a lot less than yeah. if you just meet somebody on Facebook or meet up or whatever to try and get yeah. the work done. Is that places like Fiverr and Upwork that you're thinking yes, about? Yes, Fiverr yeah. and Upwork are, are the two that, that uh, I would suggest. I went with Upwork and I was very, very happy with the illustrator that I got because my book is not... Uh, you know, there, there's kind of these, it's called Disney illustration where there are these flat kind of illustrations. And I, I really didn't want that. And so uh, my designer, she was awesome. Like, like the artist was just, you know, pretty incredible. And you can see that it's not, you know, it, it's not, they're not typical drawings that you would see in some, some of the other books. Though. And it's, yeah, it's not flat yeah. looking. There's the feathers, the details, but it's still, you know, cartoony hand drawn, but it's not... Right. Uh, it just looks it looks interesting to look at. It's not boring or right. <laughs> flat. Or... And and one of the things that was awesome to me is you know I, I got invited out to a school and and there was a a student who was pre reader you know he was like in in kinder and and certainly the reading level was above him. But I went page by page and asked him what was happening in the book and he told me almost word for word without reading the book what was happening in the story which that's when you know you're doing all right. <laughs> yeah. Somebody can just look at the, the pictures and tell you what the story is oh, and almost have it word for word. It, it, that's good. That's a good way to test out your illustrations. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> was it, um, was there a lot, I guess there was a lot of back and forth with her, but in a good way. You know, it, it really, she did such a good job that there really wasn't a whole oh. ton of back and forth. Like uh, there's a little bit. Yeah, there, there was some, there's always going to be some. But certainly, I think there could have been more. And, 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 you know, I was telling you earlier on when I was looking at the vanity publishers, you, you know, one of the things that they talked about, because I said, well, can I, you know, approve 
or art edit my own book? And they're like, sure. But then the contract, it says, well, you can go back and forth and you get like three edits or something <laughs> like that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, yeah, no, thanks. Well, you, you know, what if, what have you run out of those three edits or, or uh, whatever? And so, you almost certainly will. Yeah, you will. <laughs> and so that's why Upworks and, and Fiverr are so much better yeah. uh, in terms of platforms. Yeah. And, and I'm part of a lot of the Facebook groups and I see people soliciting work all the time in Facebook groups. But I also see people on Facebook groups a lot saying, hey, you know, my my illustrator ha haven't heard back from them <laughs> or, mm -hmm. you know, and so. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and so then, then I, I suggest, you know, the Upworks and the Fiverr. And of course, they're like, oh, no, you know, they take advantage of the illustrators. Well, I, I'm sure they take a cut from the illustrators. But it's probably better, you know, as an end user to go through. Well, one it's of those probably better for the illustrator too, because what if they send some illustrations and then they don't get paid for them or whatever? Because they can have sketchy customers too. Like it can kind of go yeah. both ways if it's not with through a third party. So, yeah. And with with uh, Upworks, when the illustrator was working on the drawings, like she logged the time in, and I could see the sketches that she was doing as she was doing them. Wow. And so for me, it was awesome because then I could comment and say, hey, you know, this is great. Or, hey, can you change this or change that? And so as she was going along, I could see them through the process. That's really um, cool. It was very, very cool. Wow. Even where she was getting, you know, some of the the stock photos to work off of and, you know, mm -hmm. how she would change them. And so that, you know, there were no copyright issues. And uh, it was it was awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. So, so you were like editing the sketches live with her in a sense. Yeah. That's really, yes. that's efficient and I can see too. how much time she was spending, you know, a day on the drawings. Yeah, good. that's awesome. Uh, so are you only working with picture books then through your company or are you going to do novels eventually or? So I, I did have a, a judge. It was actually his wife reached out to me. And, and so, um, I, I told her, I, I didn't have a problem. I would have done the book for her, but I, I said, because of where she was at in the process, I said, you'll, you'll be better off just doing it yourself. Like just buy the ISBN numbers. She already had it professionally edited and laid out. And she didn't need me. And if you don't need me, I'm not going to take your money. Right. Um, so I'll, I'll meet you where you're at and then suggest what I think you should or shouldn't do. Yeah. And, and so uh, it, it, it just depends. It, it really does. You, you know, I, I uh, it, and it depends on the story. Like I, I'm not going to take on some sort of satanic. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. You, you want those, the good messages and um, yeah, the ones that you, that you mentioned earlier. So it's, you're, right. you'd, you'd be open to taking a non-picture book on, but it just hasn't worked out. Right. It, so, it, it's so what far. is, what is the goal of it? You know, and there, there's a, there's a politician here in Texas who, you know, kind of beat the odds to do what he's done. And he's done a whole lot of uh, good for the community in the neighborhood. And, and so, you know, I, he wanted to kind of write a book and, and I approached him and hadn't heard back from him, but I'm like, dude, I would love to, to do your book. I think I scared him off though. Cause I think his book needs to be more than one book. <laughs> I think he needs a children's book and an adult book. And I, <laughs> I think I maybe hit him with a little bit too much to think about <laughs> because I liked his story. Uh, yeah. And and some of them are just you know uh, I I have another friend who had a great story and I, I started to kind of help him ghostwrite the story and and I still hadn't been able to finish that and so yeah I I I think uh, I am more about giving advice and direction 
than than doing the work than, than transactional money taking the money right to the whatever i'm not a great businessman <laughs> i'm not gonna lie because i want to give all my services away for free right because i i think the stories are more important and the voices are more important than me making money i think that's a, a common problem of entrepreneurs is that they at the end of the day they kind of just want to help people and they feel weird about taking money for it sometimes <laughs> so, yeah, yeah yeah and and that that's my my problem <laughs> yeah. right mm -hmm. uh because again certainly there's more than enough people out there they're going to take want to take your money mm -hmm. yes and that's just not me so going forward then do you have any books lined up uh yeah. for um for your yeah next... so that yes yeah. so there is another book that i'm i'm writing it's another kind of picture book and it takes place in a zoo it's called the very scary rhino, and it's a it's about a rhinoceros that's new to the zoo, and uh, and all the other animals are afraid of him. And what they don't know is that he's afraid of them as well. So like the elephants are afraid of him because he's so big, even though the elephants are big. Or mm -hmm. you know, there's another animal that's afraid of him because he has a horn, even though they have horns. And it's this idea that a lot of times we're we're afraid of people who are the same as us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so you know, somewhere in there, it's going to talk about. You know how even though he's surrounded by more people than he's ever been surrounded by he's he feels more alone than he's ever felt mm -hmm. um and then you know it, all the animals in the zoo have a name and he doesn't have a name because he came from you know from the savannah yeah and uh, but at the end you know everyone's just gonna call him friend and it, you know this idea that he's separated from his mother and locked in a cage for his own safety uh and so there's there's a lot of kind of themes that I want to work into there, but I need yeah. to make it as simple as I can and still work those themes in there. So that's kind of what I'm working on now. Cool. And do you think, um, maybe it's early days to answer this, but do you think you'd use the same illustrator again? I, I, I'm going to illustrate this one. Oh, you're illustrating, right? You mentioned Yeah, I, Yeah. I think yes. from now on, I'm going to, I'm going to start illustrating. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you have any plans for adult books? Just curious, like, do, are you more of the picture book kind of guy? There is a, a young adult book that I have an idea for. Okay. Again, I have these ideas in my head and I have to get them out. And so uh, there is a there is kind of this young young adult book that I have an idea for. And I want to do it a little bit different. And so that's probably why it's a good idea that I would, you know, publish it on my own because, you know, the characters in there that speak Spanish, I want to speak Spanish. I don't want us to have a, you know, an English book and then a Spanish book. I want it to be parts in English, parts in Spanish. There's some poetry in there. And so do the book without having translation, if that makes any sense. And and so, uh, yes. So I, I have this idea for this young adult kind of novel. Yeah. No, that's the great thing about self-publishing is it's do whatever you want. It's your yeah. book. It's, you know, there's all and, that freedom. And if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And, you know, I, I take the hit. At least you got it out of your head. <laughs> At least I got it out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Issei, um, where can people find you online if they'd like to work with you or learn more? Yeah. So, uh, again, you can just go to dancingduckpublishing.com or you can go to miguelgoestoeagleschool.com and they'll both get you to the same website. Okay, great. I'll put the links for that in the show notes below. That'd be perfect. My, my last question I ask all my guests is what advice can you give our listeners for living a wild, creative life? Yeah. Um, so it's gonna sound corny but just do it like um there are no limits now especially like with publishing anybody can publish it's easier now than it's ever been to publish a book and there's great information out there 
you, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I'll give you any information or I'll direct you anywhere that I can. But and don't limit yourself because I, you know, like I said, I'm a maker. I, I still build things. And I, I think it, to some degree, I kind of shoot myself in the foot because, you know, I show up with my book and my art and, you, you know, there it, it seems like people want you to focus in like they want you to have a, a booth that's just art, you know, and. <laughs> And if you're a serious artist, I heard this term the other day, you know, that I, I entered a juried show and they're like, well, the, the judges are only looking for serious artists. And well, what is a serious artist? Like, what, who do you mean? Like, I'm going to like that, you know, I've wasted my life raising kids in a family, obviously, or, or apparently, and, and I haven't been a serious artist. Right. What does I it even mean? Kind of, right. What does it mean? And so I, I make stuff, you know, I, I make bud vases and tables and I repurpose furniture and I make what I consider to be serious art and, and write stories and, and, and you can do it. And, and, and I still, you know, obviously I have a full-time job so that I can afford to do it, but I've raised a family and, and, you know, my sons are young men now and, and you can still do it and you don't have to wait your whole life to do it. Just do what you can when you can and don't worry about, you know, the, the, the judges who are, you know, going to say one thing or the other. It'll, it'll work itself out. Yeah. It will work itself out. And there's support. There's support, there's support, there's support, regardless of what you're doing. Yes. Uh, find your, your group, because there's a group out there, and, and uh, start reaching out to them and forming those bonds and forming those connections. Yeah. It's important. There's support and free resources everywhere these days. More Absolutely. Than, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Isai, for the conversation. It was a real pleasure to have you. Thank you. I appreciate being being uh, with you. All right, that's a wrap for today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Isai. And if you ever want to self-publish, please do reach out to him as he knows lots about it. And I'm sure he'd be willing to answer some of your questions. All the links are below. If you're enjoying the podcast overall, please do rate and review. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, share, or you can now join my Patreon to show support for the show. Just go to patreon.com slash Emma If you have any questions or comments or topic ideas for future episodes, please email me at emmakivetna at gmail.com. Otherwise, until we meet again, stay wild, stay creative. <laughs>